everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we're talking about your 20 and 54 Detroit Pistons. It's tank week, so Ben Gulker and I talk about how many games the Pistons can afford to win the rest of the season. Spoiler, it's not that many. Why we want Cade Cunningham to win Rookie of the Year, but won't really be mad if he doesn't. We give our belated thoughts on Sadiq Bey's 51-point explosion against the Orlando Magic, and we talk about Hamadou Diallo's season-ending injury. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, joining you after some technical difficulties. Uh, pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how's it going? Doing well, Les. I'm, I'm glad my Mac is working well. How's your PC doing? <laughs> my my uh, my gaming PC is not happy with me this morning, apparently. <laughs> and so we are, we are joining from the laptop. Uh, we're just going to have to make it work. But uh, I guess make it work is going to be the theme of this week's podcast because it's tank week. We're going to be discussing all things tanking this week. Uh, so with the starting with the standings, I know we usually do the schedule at the end. Schedule is going to be a huge part of the beginning part of this podcast. We're doing things a little bit differently. So right now, Ben, there are four teams within striking distance of the worst record in the NBA and accordingly the best lottery odds in the NBA. They are the Pistons at 20 and 54, the Orlando Magic at 20 and 55, the Houston Rockets at 20 and 55, and the OKC Thunder at 21 and 53. So Ben, how many with uh, with a 21 game I guess cap uh, on the four teams at the bottom of the standings right now? How many games do you think the Pistons can win before they drop out of the top three? I would out of the best three lottery odds possible. Yeah, so I mean OKC is just tanking hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're sitting giddy for the rest of the season. Um, they don't have a lot of talent to begin with. What talent they do have is pretty much resting. So I don't know, man. Are the Thunder gonna win another game? I I don't know. Um I, I think the number has to be pretty low. I don't think they can afford to win a whole lot if they wanna hold on to the top three. Well, worst three, bottom three, however you want to talk about it. Like, they can't win a lot more, that's for sure. Yeah. The the thing that's good about the Thunder, at least, is that the Pistons do play the Thunder again this season. They play on April 1st, I believe, which is hilarious in and of itself. That will be very much an April Fool's game. Uh, just two very, very silly teams uh, going against one another. Um and so if the Pistons manage to lose that game, uh, that will, of course, give the Thunder another win. Uh, they're already a win ahead, uh, quote-unquote, ahead, below. Like, yeah, when we're talking about reverse standings, things are messed up. Um, 
and that will that will be good for the Pistons, obviously. The other thing is that the Blazers, I think the Blazers have twenty seven wins now, staring at the uh, at the standings this season, or at the standings this morning. The Pistons obviously lost to the Blazers earlier this week. That was a pretty big loss. The Blazers are, uh, of course, also like tanking their faces off right now. We saw the lineup that they put out against the Pistons, but they already have twenty seven wins, and so they are already kind of locked into uh, a place where they can't get to the the bottom of the lottery. Um, then the Blazers play the Thunder twice more this season. And oh. so, yeah, if the Pistons manage to lose to the Thunder and the Thunder can also win one of those Blazer games, that probably takes them, uh, you know, to 23 wins, which will keep them uh, in the fourth slot. The other thing is uh, Orlando and Houston. Houston's been playing better uh, of late. They're four and six in their last 10 games. Um, but they've also, I think they played Portland like twice in that stretch. And so like, again, Portland's doing a great job of tanking. And so the, those are also some wins, but uh, Houston's schedule is pretty tough. They play a bunch of teams who need the wins. And then the Kings, the Kings twice, uh, the Kings, the Kings, of course, beat Orlando last night. Uh, Orlando. I don't know if you watched that game, Ben, but why would a, I watch that game? Because you're a sicko like me, of course. <laughs> Sadist. <laughs> It was it was a beautiful display of tanking. Cole Anthony hit a step back, a foot on the line, long two that would have had it been a three would have given them like a one point advantage before the game went to overtime. Beautiful. Uh, he threw the ball directly to Davion Mitchell for a layup in order to force overtime in the first place. Just glorious basketball. Um, yeah, the the Pistons are in are in tough times uh, at the bottom of the tank race. These other teams are are playing uh, playing to lose. Have you? The Pistons are, of course, four and six. Another oh, three and seven in the last ten games. We just uh, we were talking um, a lot, you know, in past weeks about how much more competitive they looked after the All Star break. Uh, Jeremy got quote unquote hurt uh, against Washington. I didn't I didn't see an injury, but he yeah, had a, a calf strain, so uh, so he's hurt now. Uh, Kelly Olynyk was not on the injury report against Washington, but he also played zero minutes. That was very noticeable, and so uh, we. We've talked a lot, Ben, over the last couple of weeks about how the Pistons have been more competitive. Are, are you getting the sense that the desire to be more competitive is waning among the team? <laughs> well, first of all, kudos to Jack Kelly, who posted a really nice piece on Jeremy Grant and his play post-All-Star break, which I think has contributed to uh, some of the winning. I, I just wanted to shout that out because I think that piece just went live on Detroit Bad Boys either yesterday or this morning. It's a really solid piece. And kind of helps explain how uh, Jeremy has been embracing a secondary scoring role, which I think has opened things up for the offense and contributed to some of that competitiveness. But yeah, I mean, Kelly was really good this week in limited minutes um, in the win. I think he had like, what, 19 points in 21 minutes or something like that. Um, so yeah, I think resting those two guys, obviously that that takes a lot from the first unit and the second unit offensively and uh i guess not particularly surprised to see them resting a little bit i mean kelly has had an up and down season with injuries and COVID anyway so it doesn't surprise me to see him rest one game a week anyways but yeah i i would think they have to be eyeing very carefully i think you know the when you look at the draft odds i i really think they want to avoid as much as possible the opportunity to slide down to six seven eight right and if you if you find yourself with the fourth worst record, you open up those possibilities in a way that's not terribly exciting. So I, I think they they just have to be thinking about that right now. No, absolutely. Fourth? 
seems to be almost the I don't I don't want to say the fourth odds are the worst odds because you know obviously like the fourteenth odds in the lottery are like you have a very very small chance of uh, picking in the top three, but four does really open up the range of possibilities yeah. for like where you could end up in your draft slot. Um, at at four, you have a twenty five point seven percent chance of picking sixth, and a sixteen point seven percent chance of picking seventh, and that that's what like forty one percent. That's basically the same as a chance in the top four. Uh, once once you pick fourth, or once you have the fourth worst odds, and so it's just like it it opens up a big Pandora's box that you would like to avoid by staying in the top three that's that's why this okc game is a must lose game ben like they got to pull out all the stops like Saban lee should start like jamarco pickett 40 minutes uh during that game like do what you got to do to lose that game because uh it's gonna be ugly yeah put Lu- put luca garza and switch pick and roll situations on defense as much as possible like all that kind of stuff yeah we're, we're hedging luca 30 feet from the basket <laughs> like we're, we're doing everything we can uh, i think the thing that helps the pistons in the tank race though is that Aside from that aforementioned game against the Thunder, they play the Knicks, obviously, later today. We are recording Sunday morning. They had not played the Knicks yet. Um, I, I don't want to say, like, the, the Knicks uh, are invincible, but they are out of the play-in, and uh, but, like, have been playing, like, eh, not, not um, amazingly, but better since the All-Star break. I think, that's, I think that's a losable game. They play the Nets. The Nets are, um, you know, fighting for playoff positioning right now. They play the 76ers. I don't think the 76ers have not started resting guys yet. Um, and so that, that game is, of course, very losable. The Thunder, we talked about that game. The Pacers, uh, the Pacers are Pacers are still kind of trying. They're, Pacers are in a similar place as Portland, where even if they lose like the rest of their games, they're kind of locked into like the, the five, six, seven range. And so like they, they have an incentive to they have an incentive to lose, but not an incentive to like tank. And so that that should be an interesting game. Um, they play the Mavs and then the Bucks and then the 76ers. Those obviously the Bucks and 76ers are very good uh, teams, but those games towards the end of the year are always kind of a little dicey. You never know who's playing on both sides. And so it'll be interesting to see um, the the kind of the the rosters that the Pistons end up seeing down the stretch of the season too, Ben. Uh, what was I going to do? Oh, yeah. So I think that's 10 minutes on tanking. That's probably enough on, on the tanking. I, this is the, this is the story for the Pistons the rest of the season. And so I wanted to give it its due. Um, it's like the, we can, we can talk, uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of other things for the rest of this podcast, but none of it matters if the Pistons, well, I don't want to say none of it matters, but if the Pistons end up picking, you know, like seventh or eighth, like this season is uh, ultimately probably going to be looked at in like a disappointing light. And so it was like, they, I don't want to say they need to lose the rest of these games or they need to only like win one or two more games the rest of the season. But it's, uh, it's very important that they end this season uh, with a good chance uh, in the lottery to select like one of the, the top players in the class because Otherwise, you know, as much as we love Caden, as much as like we're gonna we're gonna talk about how good Caden has been, is like we also see that the the talent level of the team needs to be raised, and so uh, you know, and the way you do that for a team as bad as the Pistons is is a high draft pick, and so we we got to go through this, but uh, it's it's fine, but it's only what like 
There's only there's only more games. There's only two more weeks. Two more weeks to glory. We can make it. <laughs> All right. Uh, obviously. So the next thing we should talk about then is Kay Cunningham himself. Uh, the rookie of the year uh, fervor has reached kind of a fever pitch uh, since the All Star break. Kate is averaging 21 points, uh, almost seven rebounds, and 6.7 assists per game. One and a half uh, steals plus blocks, almost four turnovers, which is not great, and shooting 41 or 46 percent from the floor, 28 percent from three, which was a little surprising to me, but not really. He hasn't shot it well from three um, in a, quite a few games, and 81 percent from the line. Um, is that obviously like 27 and six basically are just is a very high level of production for any player, much less a rookie Ben. But uh, do you think But this is obviously only a 14 game sample since the uh, since the all-star break is the late season push we're seeing from Cade enough to bring him the, the rookie of the year award in your mind? It's a, it's kind of a weird season for rookie of the year to me, lads. Tell me if you think I'm crazy, but you know, it, it seems like when you when you're talking about rookie of the year, typically, historically, we're talking about guys who are putting up big numbers on bad teams, right? And that's kind of mm-hmm. what Kate is doing. And I don't mean that to as shade. I don't mean that as disrespect. But this year we have this sort of weird scenario where you've got Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley playing pretty big roles on pretty good teams, right? The Cavs in particular have been so surprising and Mobley has been solid all season, although he's had a, a kind of a rough March from what I have seen. So, you know, I, I think this is a little bit of a weird year. I mean, if this were a normal year, I think you're right. The 27-7 or the 26-6, however you want to split those rounding, like that would typically just run away with rookie of the year, especially putting up those kind of numbers late in the season. But, you know, I, I think this year it, it kind of starts to, like, if I'm a voter, what I'm thinking about is, you know, am I going to give Mobley and or Barnes some credit for being, you know, um, significant contributors to good teams, even though their individual performances aren't as gaudy? Or am I going to look at a guy like Cade Cunningham and say, you know, if you, if you swap Mobley or Scotty Barnes into Cade's role, can either of them do what Cade is doing now and I, I you know that's an open question to me I'm not sure it's obvious yes or no either way so I you know I think that's what you're you're thinking about if you're a voter I think the thing that Cade has going against him is narratives tend to start early right and mm-hmm. and Cade struggled struggled early Mobley was very very good early so you know taking my Pistons hat off trying to be objective I don't think I'll be mad if Mobley or Barnes wins rookie of the year um, putting my Pistons hat back on, I think I'll feel disappointed because I feel like, you know, Kate has demonstrated some real progress. He, there are some things he's clearly still struggling with, like the turnovers this week in particular were, were sort of nightmares, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, he's he's definitely put on his his carry his carry role, right, and carried the Pistons to some very surprising wins and some very competitive losses. And look, when's the last time Pistons fans were were seriously hoping for a rookie of the year, right? It's been a very long time. So, yeah, I mean, objectively speaking, look, Mobley and Barnes have both been very good on good teams. Either of them could win it, and I won't be angry. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's also very hard to overlook what Cade has done after the slow start, uh, especially if you think about the way rookie of the year is, is typically sort of thought of and voted on. No, absolutely. I I want to you that was a, I want to take my Pistons off at my my Pistons hat off as well 
and just say that uh like Evan Mobley has just been uh so uh, impressive every time I've managed to watch him. Scotty of course has been uh less impressive whenever the Pistons and the Raptors have played because the Pistons have won all of those games and uh Scotty is not uh he's, he's I think he played well in the last game, but he, he the role he plays is such a complimentary one that it's easy for him to uh, just kind of like accumulate productive statistics without uh, making a like outsized impact on the game. And I don't mean that as like, I don't mean that as a bad thing. And I have not watched like every game of Scotty Barnes. So I don't want our friends to the North to come down on me and be like, Hey, like you don't know what you're talking about. It's like, I fully admit like every time I I don't watch Scotty all the time, but every time I see him, it's just like, wow, I don't, it's like this, this dude just like puts up points of rebounds and I don't know how it's happening. But um, to put the, the Pistons hat back on and to, to cape a little bit for Cade, I think what, what you're looking for in Cade's rookie of the year case is the fact that his, uh, the responsibilities he has as a rookie are more difficult than what Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes have, the, the resp- their responsibilities are. And he's been more productive since being comfortable uh, or since getting comfortable, like in that role. Um, I think it's, it's less important that Cade wins rookie of the year versus like he ends up being the best rookie or the best player, like out of this class. And I feel pretty good about Cade ending up being like the best player from this class. So it's like, we're going to look back in five years It's like maybe Evan Mobley wins rookie of the year and uh, people are going to be like, oh, wow, like Cade's so much better than Evan Mobley is now. Uh, Like why, why did they let him like win rookie of the year when we knew Cade was going to be good? And it's like, eh, it, it, you know, it just matters that Cade ends up better uh, overall. Um, The, the other thing I will say is that like you, you brought up a great point, Ben, about the, the narrative starting early. Um, And I do think like you, you can see this uh, statistically in Cade's numbers, right? Like, He's averaging, I think, 17, 5, and 5 for the year. Um, but we, we talk a lot about his efficiency. We talk a lot about his turnovers. It took him, like, he he did not start the year, right? He, he was out with the ankle injury to begin the year. And it took him, like, a solid, like, 10 or 13, 10, 12, 11, 13 games to really get comfortable from a production and efficiency standpoint. And, like, those that like 20 games like counts, right? Like Evan Mobley has been hurt for part of this season. I think Scotty Barnes has played the majority of this season, but uh, if Cade was, you know, out for 10 games and like, you know, not necessarily as good as he's been the rest of the year for 10 games, like that's a, that's a quarter of the season, right? Like it, it makes sense that he would be uh, punished in the eyes of voters for like for that 20 game stretch. Um, it was like, uh, so I, I, you, you know, you want to, you, we want to advocate for Cade and it's like, I it's like, even if it's like, it doesn't matter. I don't have a vote. You don't have a vote. Ben. it's like, both of us think Cade has been uh great this year and would be a worthy, like rookie of the year candidate. But uh, ultimately like it matters that he ends up being the best player from the class rather than like ends up like winning rookie of the year. Right. Yeah, and if if I'm like, I'm not advocating for Mobley, but like if I were, I think part of the argument I would make is you can't you can't really fault him 
for doing his job really well, right? His mm-hmm. job isn't Cade Cunningham's job, right? If you swapped Cade and Mobley, some of Cade's numbers are going to drop, right? Because he's not going to be playing the role he's playing. And some of Mobley's numbers are going to tip up, tick up, right? Like he's not going to shoot 12 shots a game. If he's playing for the Pistons, he's going to shoot 16, 17 like Cade is. And some of those point numbers are going to jump. So I, I think you're right. I, I'm not going to be... I'm going to follow your lead on this. I'm not going to be upset no matter who wins rookie of the year. I do agree that I think Cade Cunningham's skill, Cade Cunningham's skill set and potential five years from now, like who's, who's the guy, who's the rookie who's most likely to be a franchise altering sort of talent. Cade Cunningham is that guy, the extent to which he realizes that, you know, it's, it's still up to him to, to put in the work and make it happen. But I, yeah, like I think Dwayne Casey said this a week or two ago, you know, if, from a talent evaluation perspective Cade Cunningham is rookie of the year and I think I sort of agree with that but um who knows if the voters are thinking that way right the the voters aren't necessarily thinking about who is this player going to become they're probably thinking more about what do they do as rookies and uh, I I think you can make a pretty strong case for two or three different players including Cade yeah um the the last thing I will say is that um we're going to see like a fairly substantial jump in production from Cade next season uh, simply because I think he'll be a more consistent three-point shooter than he's been this season and because I think we'll see him get to the line a lot more for whatever reason Cade is just not getting to the line at a rate uh, parallel to what other NBA players who drive to the basket and score from the paint as often as Cade does uh, are are getting right, and so it's like when you know when Cade is shooting a consistent 34, 35, 36 percent from three and going to the line, you know, twice as often as he is like currently, like he's good, like he's averaging twenty two points now, and he's only shooting like two and a half free throws a game. He shoots five free throws a game and like makes another you know point seven threes a game. All of a sudden, that's a 25 point per game guy. And that's like, that's, and that's not even, um, that's not even like him getting that much better. That's just him getting more calls, right? And being, being more consistent. And so, again, like, Cade's going to end up being really good. I feel great about where Cade's going to end up being, you know, next year, even as soon as next year. And, you know, who knows what things are going to look like down the line, but it's going to be great. But like, for this year, you totally understand the the argument against him even if it's not uh if it even if it doesn't fall on sympathetic ears here at uh the detroit bad boys podcast all right ben the other uh the other thing we we kind of missed last week was uh sadiq's 51 point game you should probably should probably talk about that <laughs> sadiq also now uh as a uh, in and his like his name's etched in pistons lore he holds the single season record for made threes in a season with 193 and counting um, you know, between that and the 50 point game, we've just seen, uh, you know, an explosion of production from Sadiq, uh, after the all-star break. It's like, did when at the beginning of the season, when, uh, Sadiq was struggling, did you, did you see this kind of thing coming from him down the line, Ben? Yeah. What a strange season for Sadiq, right? I mean, struggled early. We were sort of questioning, like, what, what does his future role look like? What kind of player is he going to become? I think he shut down some of those concerns, certainly, over the second half of the season. I mean, yeah, his 51-point performance, what a what a special moment for him in a game that was lost without him, right? I mean, and it was a blowout without him. An incredible performance. 
Um, Sadiq Bey is going to make a lot of money <laughs> when his rookie contract comes <laughs> yep. in. I mean, he's going to make a whole lot of money. Um, but yeah, I, I think, did I expect it? I was, I was worried about Sadiq over the first 10 or 20. Um, I, I think, look, if, if Sadiq Bey continues to do all of the new offensive stuff that he's been doing successfully this season and that three point percentage ticks back up to that 38, 40% range. I mean, that that's a very desirable player, right? And uh, it, it's also very desirable for, for the Pistons as they rebuild because it's such a, uh, a secondary skill set that he seems to really embrace. And I think that pairs naturally with Cade. And then look, he does, he does all the stuff you want him to do defensively. He stretches himself to play power forward on defense. Um, I mean, he deserves a lot of credit for, for what he's done this season. He deserves a lot of credit uh, for continuing to work, for continuing to stay optimistic and positive and to see it pay off over the last 20, 30 games of the season. I mean, a lot of he he just serves a tremendous amount of credit because that is not an easy thing to do mentally to stay with it when you're struggling like he did over the first I don't know was it 20 or 30 games last where he just couldn't seem to put the ball in the basket uh yeah I I think on the whole this is going to stand out for him as as a very special season I I totally agree I think that the thing that was noticeable noticeable to me during the 50 point game that I hope uh continues was that um you you see like what he's capable of the like the outer bounds of his play but uh like even even like Zach Lowe on uh, the low post was talking about this it's like he's he's Sadiq scored 50 but it did not look like a uh it didn't look like they were like force feeding him to get to 50 right like he just he made 10 threes he's like he got to the line I think like seven times uh seven or eight times and it's just like he showed off a little bit more of like what he's been able to do uh from inside the arc and it, like he didn't take like 40 shots to get 50 points right like they weren't they weren't feeding him points he just he did his normal thing the shots just fell a lot more uh with with a lot more like accuracy than they normally do and so it was it was really cool to see Sadiq score 50 i think it was even cooler to see Sadiq score 50 in a manner that made it feel like it, it, it's he can go for 50 on any night is if the shots falling, if uh, if he gets hot, is just um, is just a matter of like whether or not the shots are going in. And uh, you know he scored. I think he scored like eight points against Atlanta. And it's like he he's still the same guy, right? Like uh, fifty points, eight points. Like you you know I feel I feel comfortable in like the production you get from Sadiq on a night and on a night to night basis. Like regardless of like whether or not um, his shots going in. And so I'm I'm super pleased with Sadiq. I think it's great that the pistons have two like two cornerstones to to build the roster on in Cade and Sadiq both guys who are you know who project to be very good three-point shooters who are also good two-way players well like who also play defense it's like that is a really solid foundation to like build the team upon and I'm like very glad Sadiq is here um yeah that was yeah that's I'm I'm really happy with Sadiq. Uh, I'm glad he got to score 50. I'm glad he got like his 
his uh, shining moment. And I mean that in the sense that it was the only NBA game on that night. And so if you were watching the NBA, you were watching. Yeah, Sadiq you were aware. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think the cool thing is like, you know, as a rookie watching Sadiq, the question is, is he a three and D guy or is he a three and D plus, right? Like, is there something else? And I think this year he's really answered that. Like even, even on the nights where his three point shot is not falling, he's bringing you something else offensively that justifies, you know, the role that he has, right? He's, he's able to do stuff inside the arc, as you mentioned, getting to the free throw line. And so I think that, look, that just makes him that much more valuable uh, for the Pistons. And look, they're probably going to have to fight off a few offers, right? He's going to, if they let him go to restrict the free agency, he's going to get that post rookie max. So we'll have to see what Troy Weaver does to try to, to hold on to Sadiq Bay. Yeah. I think they will do what it takes to hold on to Sadiq, but, uh, but yeah, it'll be uh, it, that his next contract will be very interesting for sure. Speaking of a guy who just came out of restricted free agency, Hamadou Diallo, uh, unfortunately for him and the team, Hami is out for the rest of the season with a finger injury. He banged his finger pretty good uh, against the rim going up for a dunk. Uh, truly the most Hamadou Diallo injury possible. Um, and the, I think at times the Pistons have definitely missed the infusion of chaos that Hamadou brings to the team uh, fairly consistently. Uh, so Ben, with it's like you know looking forward the pistons are going to add another you know another high draft pick we talked about that at the top of the podcast they have you know a projected 30 million dollars in cap space they're gonna they're gonna add some players that way do you think that you think that hamadou diallo continues to be a part of the rotation for this team next year given that it looks like they're going to add two players who could maybe bump him down it's a great question. You know, first of all, Hami's been sort of the unsung hero for me this season. He's been a blast to watch. I think you're right. He's he's chaos in a fun way off the bench. Um, but he's also been consistently productive, right? He, he basically lost his spot in the rotation early in the season. I think that's easy to overlook, especially after the Josh Jackson trade. But he's, you know, he stayed professional and he was very solid. He's been very productive off the bench as well as just fun to watch because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, I could certainly see how he gets bumped out of the rotation, and I could certainly see how his team-friendly contract could potentially be added on to uh, some sort of larger trade. I think they're going to be asking similar questions about Kelly Olynyk, like what what sort of sense does his contract make, depending on how they draft and who they get in free agency. Um, you know, so I could I could see him being a sweetener or a contract matcher in a trade as well, which I think will be a little bit disappointing because he's come, become kind of a fan favorite, but look, if we're, if we're honest, it's he's an off the bench sort of role player. And so sentimentality can't drive your decision-making around that. And it, it's certainly possible to envision a scenario where uh, the Pistons end up moving on from Hami. And if that happens, I hope he ends up in a place where, where he gets the chance to play because I, I think he does belong in the NBA NBA rotation somewhere definitely no absolutely it's interesting because i think there there are ways you can construct um like trades and stuff that make space for hami on the roster right like you can you know you draft you draft a big you bring in a point guard but if you if you trade like Corey joseph or kelly olenic like you were saying it's like that does open that that does open up like a spot for hamadou to like stay in the rotation you know conversely I think he played I think he opened some eyes with the I don't want to say consistency is like not quite the right word but like but by by being so chaotic by being so uh impactful 
in in the role he was given i think he opened a lot of eyes around the league as to like what what type of role he was both like willing to accept and like able to be productive in and so i think like yeah a lot of different teams could use a guy who does what hamadou diallo does on a night in a night out basis and that kind of makes him desirable especially when you look at the the details of his contract and how you know relatively little money he makes uh for uh for like a for a 25 year old player and so yeah i think it'll really depend and like you said um if he does get traded away from the pistons and you you can't let sentimentality drive that decision making um but if he does get traded away from the pistons i'll always like he'll he'll hold the same place in my heart that like bruce brown and like luke Kennard and like ish smith and like those guys hold right where it's like i i i enjoyed his time here even though i felt like at times i wouldn't um but i would still be happy to see him like stick around for for future uh, iterations of this business team all right ben the next guy i want to talk about was killian hayes uh killian over his last six games, including a scoreless night against Orlando, where he only played, I think, 11 minutes because he got whacked in the face by Kelly Olenek and missed the uh, next two games after that. But uh, in his last six games, he's averaging 9.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, and uh, 5.5 assists, more or less. He's averaging 1.5 steals plus blocks, 2.5 turnovers, and he's shooting 45% from the floor, 38% from three, and 67% from the line. It's like, I don't I don't want to do this every time Killian has like a good like five game stretch bin, but he has looked better. He has looked more aggressive. He has looked more decisive in looking for his shot. Um, and it's it's showing up in the scoring column, right? He's, he's hit double figures, I think, in like three of the last uh, three of his last uh, his games. And so, Ben, you know, but does this look different to you? Does this look like? Does this look more sustainable, or is this just another, you know, nice-looking stretch from Killian Hayes? Well, I, I think the thing that jumped out to me a little bit is he looks a little more comfortable and aggressive now that he's settled into this role in the second unit. Um, he had that really nice transition dunk. Was it with Rodney Magruder? I forget who it was on the break. Sort of passed it back to him. He had this, you know, really aggressive dunk in transition. Right. That's that's the thing that I like about what Killian is doing right now, like settling into some confidence in who you are as a player. Right. And, the, and then doing the things that you're, you're good at. I am not at all ready to give up on Killian Hayes. You know, Les, I know you've been high on him for a long time. He's still so young. And look, this is the kind of stretch of games that tells you there's, there is still a there there, right? Like, is he going to stick in the NBA? I don't, you know, I don't know for sure yet. But I do know that I think he's worth retaining on the roster for at least another offseason. And look, I, I don't think the Pistons are going to be competing for anything meaningful next year. So I think you absolutely want to have a guy like Killian Hayes on your roster who can um, potentially print into a, a really valuable rotation piece if he can figure out a way to be just you know competent in his own scoring. And I think we've We've seen that over the stretch that you're talking about. He's still doing all of the non-scoring things very well. He's a menace defensively, which in and of itself has value. And he continues to just, he continues to impress me with, um, you know, just the way he plays the game as a point guard, making the extra pass, making the right pass, um, you know, orchestrating the second unit, pushing the ball in transition, something we both love. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think we've seen some glimpses this season that tell us the kind of player he can be if he takes another step this summer. And to me, that 
that justifies keeping him around and, and continuing to invest in him for another season. Yeah. I, the aggression in uh, scoring and attacking the basket, attacking the basket more so than scoring, I think has been the thing that stands out during this stretch. In other stretches of play we've seen from Killian, uh, you know, this season mostly, it's like when he was scoring well, it was because he was playing, he was making like corner threes off of Cade mm-hmm. and still doing... Um, but still like, you know, still being able to distribute the ball, but much more as an off ball player. Um, as he's found his role off the bench, as he's been able to play with the ball in his hands a little bit more, we're starting to see him attack the paint. And I think like that, that seems sustainable to me. He's always, you know, he's six, five, six, eight wingspan. He's always had a physical edge on a lot of the point guards that uh, he's gone up against. That edge is only mag is only magnified against uh bench point guards we saw him uh like for his first basket against washington kind of just like shoulder ish smith like into the third row uh in order to get a layup it's like you you would like to see more of that but like just him doing it in the first place is still very impressive and uh and so i I think that's what makes this different right is is the the shooting is still kind of an open question and he will need to shoot in order to you know rejoin the starting lineup and ever play next to cade cunningham but um, as a guy who starts to look for his own shot more, starts to be more aggressive and has that open things up to to utilize his passing vision and is uh, you know still able to be competitive and compete on the defensive end and, and cause havoc on that end as well. Like that is a these are very important games for Killian Hayes. I think I think Dwayne like said that like a couple weeks ago. He's like this is it's like this is a really important time for Killian in particular. And then he kind of walked it back, saying like, you know, this is it's important for all of our young guys. We want all of our young guys to develop. But I do think that they are paying special focus to how Killian you know does what what he's able to do uh, for the team down the stretch of these games because. You know, we, we've seen them linked to a bunch of point guards uh, in free agency. We know that uh, a potential like backcourt partner for Cade and Jaden Ivey is also like high at the top of this year's draft. And so it's like that, you know, what you need to the decisions you need to make around the around uh, or on the roster, um, you know, Killian's play affects that. It's like he, he, I wouldn't say he could play so well that like you shouldn't draft Jaden Ivey or anything like that. I like I definitely don't think that's the case, but it it definitely uh, opens up like a different set of possibilities if you think Killian's going to be a long term contributor to this team for sure. Well, and I think too like when you look at Cade's length and versatility, you look at Killian's length and versatility, and I'm thinking particular defensively, like. I've been looking at the way Casey has been closing games and what are the rotations in the fourth quarter. And I'm saying this because you mentioned starting. Um, I feel like, you know, Killian has gotten a lot of fourth quarter opportunities as well, right? So he's been able to play with K down the stretch. And so there's a part of me that wonders, okay, if Jaden Ivey is best player available when you, when you were drafting, whenever that is, like, I mean, I think you obviously take him. And I think you start to think creatively about, you know, if Killian takes some developmental steps this summer, I think you could potentially be looking at some really interesting three guard lineups, maybe with Sadiq as your small ball four. So yeah, I mean, I I would I would not slot Killian as just a guard or Cade as just a guard, especially in in closing lineups, right? And I, I think that has some interesting potential if Killian makes some offensive progress. 
I think uh, I think you made Dwayne Casey's heart just like flutter a little bit with that three guard lineup. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that definitely seems like something he would pull out uh, yeah, at, at the end of games. All right, Ben. Uh, Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley has been just the perfect tanking player for this Detroit Pistons team. Um, he had I think he had what twenty five and ten uh, last game against Washington. He's seeing more of an opportunity uh, in terms of playing time than he was in Sacramento. He's being and he's rewarding the Pistons with production uh, for that opportunity. I think he's still averaging like 14 and 7 off the bench, uh, which has been just uh, you know crazy production uh, considering what the Pistons were, were able to uh, acquire him for um, relatively. But uh, he's also shooting two and a half threes a game. He's shooting two threes a game, and he's shooting 19% from three. Marvin, please stop shooting threes. But Ben, what, what have you been thinking about Marvin Bagley and, and his play down the stretch? So I really, I really, really like him off the bench. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I like that he seems to work well with Killian and Cade, right? Like regardless of, of who's handling the ball, both of those guys seem to be able to connect with him. Um, I, I like that he hasn't tried to force his scoring, right? Like a guy in his situation, kind of like a reclamation project to some degree, you can envision a lot of guys pressing, right, and trying to score a lot of points to get that next contract. He's not doing that. He's being patient and playing with within the role that he's been given. And so I, I actually really appreciate that. That was one of the things I was a little bit nervous about, right? Like, what's what's it going to mean for him coming off the bench and being a very much a secondary player, right? Like, most of his looks are coming off of somebody else. And I, mm-hmm. I think he's done a really good job stepping into that role. I think it's helped his efficiency to some degree. I mean, you talked about his productivity. He's been very, very active. Um, You know, the only thing I I am a little worried about is I'm not sure I envision him as a starting caliber player. We talked about defense a couple weeks ago. I just, I'm not sure if, if he's got that in him, but I really like him as a vertical threat off of the bench um, who gives you a, a really different sort of look compared to Jeremy Grant or Isaiah Stewart uh, particularly next to Cade or or Killian, so I've I've been very pleased, very happy, uh, and and would be happy to have him around for, uh, you know, a little while longer uh, if the price is right. Yeah, I I agree that the defensive issues probably keep him from being the ideal starting player on a on a team, um, but like that, you know, that's no great sin, right? If you can if you can put up 14 points a game off the bench, like yeah. like great. Like please just do that. And that that will that will keep you in the NBA for a long time, uh, regardless of, you know, whether that's a underperformance on your draft slot, right? Like we don't care about that anymore. We're we're past that. Um I will say I, I initi- I agree with you that I didn't feel like he was forcing the issue offensively to begin with like as we've gotten closer to the end of the season i feel like he's been given more free reign to uh, explore what he's able to do offensively and with that has come a lot more like three-point attempts and again like he's just he's just not a very good shooter at this point like uh, his shot doesn't look bad so it's like maybe there's hope for for that to come in time but um yeah 19 percent from three is not ideal and so i it's good for the tank um, but it's not like ideal for the for the long term, and so I hope that you know when the Pistons have more to play for, that tendency is reined in a little bit. Um, but like other, but I think like 
giving him the license to fire away right now is like fine. It's just like, let's make sure he doesn't do it when it matters. Um, but yeah, it's just the, and funnily enough, the defensive woes like also kind of make him a good uh, tanking player. It's just like, Hey, just go out there and do your thing. And if you, you know, if they score a bunch, like that's fine. We're not, we're not overly concerned with it. Right. Just like play 30 minutes against Washington and let Stewart only play 22 minutes. Despite the fact that Stewart was a, was a, a force defensively during that game. So we lose is like perfect. Great job, Marvin. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I like, I'd like to see something happen similar to what happened with Hamadou Diallo, although I think he's going to make significantly more money than that. But, you know, a team-friendly contract that sort of incentivizes him to perform really well so that the next contract is bigger. Like, that's the kind of thing I could envision working really well for the team and for Bagley. For sure. All right, Ben. It has been March Madness. March Madness uh, has been upon us. Uh, Has anyone – we talked about the Pistons – getting a high draft pick at the beginning of the pod has anyone really stood out to you during uh during march madness so i'll say that nothing has really changed my mind on anything so far and you know i will say i tend to see two schools of thought on this right like the first is maybe a little more old school the the big dance is the first time these players have been exposed to this kind of pressure and so these games are really meaningful from a player evaluation standpoint you want to see how these kids hold up to the big lights and the big stage. You know, I I tend to lean the other direction, which is to say I don't tend to read too much into the tournament because it's kind of the smallest sample you have possible to evaluate some of these guys. So presumably the Pistons picking in the top six, like I don't think I saw anything from anyone who's on the board at that point that that has really made me feel really, really good or really, really bad. So I don't know, Laz, maybe tell me I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something obvious, but I I haven't seen anything that's changed my mind too much yet. I philosophically agree with you that because of the small sample, you you can't let like an outsized tournament run uh, make you like uh, very much endeared to a player who like might not actually be that type of player in the NBA. We've, we've seen that happen in the past with guys getting overdrafted because of tournament performances mm-hmm. and it, it, it doesn't end well. And so that you, you do like you now you, excuse me, you don't want to fall into that trap for sure. Um, one thing, the one thing I will say is that I've been, I've been really impressed with Paolo Banchero this tournament. He is mm-hmm. of course, I think the, he's the only guy in the top. Well, Depending on where you have AJ Griffin, his teammate, he's the only guy in the top six, like still playing. Yeah, and so like there, there is something to that. Um, but you know, uh, n- not that I had him. Like I think I he he was wavering between like two and three for me anyway. But he's appeared to my eye to be a lot more versatile offensively than um, than I originally like considered, and. Uh, I think that he's sh- he's shown that he's able to um, he's able to perform in like high pressure situations in high leverage situations. They they started to uh, like hand him the keys a little bit more. He's uh, like sometimes there's a there's a push and pull with that. Duke has like five future NBA players in that starting lineup, and so you you do kind of see that tendency. Um, but like against. You know, I watched the Michigan State game the closest, obviously, because you know I'm I'm a Spartan, um, and it, it it did feel like at times down the stretch of that game, it's like he could just walk to the basket whenever he wanted and get points, 
And it's like the that would be a useful skill to have in the NBA. Uh, and so I'd, I can definitely uh, I can definitely see uh, that uh, he's he's really impressed me. Um, and I you know, I'm not going to like go crazy on him on draft day or anything like that. But like I, I think he would be he's, he's he, I think he would fit in much better with the Pistons than like maybe I thought about like two weeks ago. I don't think you're crazy though, Ben, to say that like, you know, we, we can't overdraft a guy. Uh, like we can't like draft one of these Houston guys just because they play defense, right? And then they made the, the yeah. final four, like the sign. Yeah, and you know, you see guys who go on these magical runs, right? You know, they they shoot sixty percent from three for the course of four games, and they you know they get their team into a, a bunch of massive upsets. Like I I just don't think you want to make that mistake. I don't get the sense that Troy Weaver would but i think your observation is this too too like if there's somebody who's already on your radar as a top five or six pick and he's just done everything right and solidifies himself in your mind like i have a i can get on board with that for sure yeah i will say though if you if you pick up like the mustache kid from saint peter with the 60th pick like i'm not gonna be mad at you yeah right yeah if it's second round (laughs) if it's second round stuff like i'm okay yeah we're good with that he and frank frank can teach him a thing or two about how to shave that's all (laughs) There you go. Uh, all right, Ben. Uh, obviously, we are recording prior to the Knicks game. We talked about the schedule earlier. We we don't have to go into it. The Pistons only have uh, eight games left this season. But uh, yeah, this is uh this has been a good. The season's almost over, Ben. Like, what are we? We're gonna probably gonna do like some some grades and stuff for the podcast uh, towards the uh, or after the season's over. But yeah, it's it's gonna be. Uh, it's going to be sad to to have no more Pistons basketball to talk about, even as we like watch the playoffs and be like, oh, wow, this is what good basketball looks right. like. Right. That's the annual tradition for me, remembering, rediscovering why I love the game is what happens <laughs> in the playoffs. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, Ben, it's been a good pod. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find uh, your thoughts on uh, the Pistons, on college prospects, on, uh, on really anything. Yeah, at BR Golker on Twitter. I've been kind of quiet the last couple of weeks just due to busy busyness in life. But uh, yeah, March Madness and playoff basketball, like this is this is the time to talk. So hit me up there and continue to give us your feedback on DetroitBadBoys.com. Hit us up in the comments. Let us know what you think. Absolutely. And of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Laz Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Um, you can always uh, leave comments on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast post. We love to talk about the podcast uh, in that discussion post in particular. So if you, you hit us up there with thoughts, um, we'll be sure to see them and, and respond to them. And we we truly appreciate everybody who who expresses their gratitude for the podcast uh, over the course of the long season. You know, this this has been a long season. The Pistons have only won 20 games. But uh, the the discussion we have on the board with uh with a lot of the uh the readers and listeners and the discussion like i have with you ben uh just really like sustains me over the course of losing 60 games so thank you <laughs> it is therapeutic isn't it i do have it to really, say it's necessary <laughs> for sure <laughs> all right thank you everyone for listening uh this has been the detroit bad boys podcast and we will talk to you all next week see ya